Hi everyone, it's Melissa Pemberton here, host of Mending Families, where we will talk all things parenting, trauma, and healing. Okay friends, I need your help with something. My heart is really to get the information about parenting from a different perspective, understanding how trauma can play into how we parent and how we can help our kids heal by using a connected parenting approach. I believe that this is so important for our future generations to understand and to experience as kids. And so I need your help getting the word out about my podcast. And there's three ways you can do that. The first way is that you can tell your friend about this podcast. If you just go into the podcast, open it up, there's a little share button. Click that button and share with all your friends, families, neighbors, sisters, cousins, everyone. The more people that you can tell about this podcast, the better. The second way to get the word out there is by giving me a review or a rating. That is another way that Apple Podcasts in particular will bump up how often my podcast will appear on people's possible listen to list. And the third way, is just word of mouth. If you subscribe, hit the subscribe button every week when I drop a new episode, it will come right into your feed and you listen and you're gonna get good information because that is what I'm all about. And so when you listen to that good information, if you can just tell your people, maybe they don't have the ability to listen to podcasts. Well, guess what? It's all on my website. So you can direct them to my website, www.mendingfamilieswa.com and you will be able to listen to all my podcasts that I've ever dropped as well as get access to all of the show notes, which has so much important information as well. Do me a solid and help me get the word out about this podcast. Thank you so much. And I am so glad that you are here with me every week. Hey everyone, welcome to another Monday. Today I have a special guest, Eileen Devine on, and she is the founder of Brain First Parenting. I was so excited when she agreed to be on because we talk about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders which is something that I don't think we talk about enough. And it was a really good conversation and I learned a lot and I hope you learn a lot. Um, And I'm looking forward to you hearing this conversation. So let's just jump right in. Here we go, my conversation with Eileen Devine. Okay, well, welcome Eileen, how are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks Good. for having me. Of course, I'm really excited for our talk today. Um, before we start, though, I'm hoping you can introduce yourself to our listeners because they probably don't know you. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Eileen Devine, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I am the founder of Brain First Parenting. It's a coaching practice for parents that I have, parents who have kids with brains that work differently and really challenging, confusing, relentless <laughs> behavioral mm-hmm. symptoms. Um, I'm also the parent of two teenagers, my son, Connell, who's a sophomore, and my daughter, Maya, who's a freshman. Um, Maya is the reason I found myself getting into this work about a decade mm-hmm. ago. Um, she's 15 now, and we adopted her at birth, and she okay. has significant brain-based differences. And so... Um, in trying to figure out how to parent her in a way that didn't make things worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I um, decided to change the area of my clinical focus because I had been a social worker for a long time before okay. that. 
Okay. Um, and start working with families who found themselves in similar shoes. Yeah. So that's kind of the combination. And then I have my husband, Dave, who's wonderful. I don't want to forget him. Yeah. And a dog. <laughs> and a dog, Finn. Yes. Uh, what kind of dog is Finn? <laughs> you know, we don't know. He was oh. rescued from Iran of all places. That okay. was not our intent, but, um, we think a little bit of hound cause he's a talker, if you know okay. what I mean by that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and his like nose to the ground all the time. Uh, probably we figure like a mix of hound and lab, but he's very sweet, Aww. sweet, sweet pup. So yeah. Did you, so how old was he when you got him? Well, it's an interesting question because the rescue organization said he's a year and a half and we've had dogs before. So I was yeah. like, Oh, that's perfect. Like yeah. that's a great age. And we got him and I was like, this dog is not a year and a half. Okay. So younger. <laughs> so yeah. So we got the paperwork from Iran and they had an estimated birth date that made him about eight or nine months. And I was like, okay, that, that makes now sense. It makes sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So he was eight or nine months. Yeah. And that okay. was probably four and a half years ago. So, okay. Yeah. And you survived the puppy stage. Oh, we survived. Yeah. Oh, was, puppies yeah. are hard. Yes, they're hard. It was in the middle of COVID, which I think probably okay. helped in yeah. that we were all home. We weren't yeah. trying to like manage getting out of the house every day. And yeah. that, anyways, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have a puppy. And so she is oh, nine months old. And okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You're That's in the thick of it then. Not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we love, we love her. So, mm. um, okay. Well, before we start talking about like the meat of the stuff, I am curious yeah. because, um, you live in Portland and yeah. our family goes to the Oregon coast. I live in, um, uh, Cheney, which is near Spokane. So I'm okay, on yeah. Eastern Washington. Yep. Um, but we go to the Oregon coast every year just for like a family mm -hmm. vacation. And mm -hmm. do you, I'm curious because you live in Portland. Like, do you go to the Oregon coast every year? Or you too. Every okay. summer. Yeah. Where do you yeah, guys yeah. go? Like Manzanita. what is your favorite? Oh, we haven't done that one yet. Oh, you have to do okay. it. Okay. I'm ready. It, it, you'll right never now. go back. Okay. <laughs> Where do you typically go? Lincoln city. We've been okay. to Rockaway beach, okay. um, Newport. Yep. So yep. yeah. Kind yeah. So Manzanita is very different than those okay. in that, um, it's like very quaint, very sleepy, small town. So okay. depending on what your family's looking for, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's got this like wonderful, lovely main street and a few restaurants yeah. and yeah, it's just, it's a really, really beautiful place. And they also have a big state park nearby. Okay. It has really nice trails for biking, like paved trails or yeah. for walking Hiking. too. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. In the uh -huh, Nahalem Bay. Okay. There. So yeah, and we try to go to every week, every summer or every week. I wish yeah. we try to go once, um, once a summer for about a week. Okay. Yeah, that's we we typically go in the fall, but we're finding that as our kids are getting older, it's harder to do that because of activities. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's cheaper in the fall. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. And then you don't um, have to book out like for a full week. That's often the requirement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was anyway. just out your way this past summer in um Winthrop, Washington. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We had a big family reunion there. So. Oh fun. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just, because I know you, you were from Portland, I was like, I yeah. need to ask her. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, yeah. It's a really popular destination okay. yeah, for folks, even okay. in Portland, real easy to Love get it. to too. Okay. I'll try it. Cause I have not, I actually have not heard of Manzanita. So. Oh, 
check it out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. So let's, let's talk now. I think my first question, because this is going to be kind of like the overarching theme, which is trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're, why we're here. Mm -hmm. My, my question to you is how do you define trauma? I know that Mm -hmm. that is a buzzword that people are Mm -hmm. using a lot these days. And I think it's used overused and maybe used in the wrong way sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm just curious from your perspective, how you would define trauma. Yeah. Um, The way I would define it is um, an event or something that happens to someone in their life that shatters their sense of self and well-being. Mm. And um, not just kind of cracks it open, not just kind of shakes it a little bit, but completely shatters it. And um, I also think of it, I don't know if you've heard kind of the categorization of big traumas and small yeah. traumas, Yeah, which was super helpful for me when I was kind of venturing down this road, really in service to the parents that I work with and trying to help, you know, get a better sense of their parent experience was oftentimes they will say, I haven't experienced trauma. Mm. And I'm looking at them and saying, yeah, you do every day some of them at the hands of their kids really, which is, and, and that is that small trauma, right? Like that just constant Mm -hmm. toxic stress, shattering their sense of self and security and well-being. But I think most, what I, my experience has been that most people think of it as in the big traumas, right? Um, Some big life event, either a natural disaster or Mm -hmm. like an assault or something like just terrible, awful one-time big event. Mm-hmm. So I think remembering that those small traumas are definite traumas as well. Um, well and if they're know, chronic just... too, if those small traumas are chronic and that's right, not just a one-time That's thing. right. Right, right. Because the other piece that I think a lot about and talk a lot about is when you experience trauma, what does it do, of course, to your body, your mind, mm-hmm. your heart, your soul, and your nervous system being such a big piece of that. And if you are experiencing that chronic toxic stress every single day, your nervous system is going to get stuck in that fight or flight response. It can't help but to do that, right? I was just talking to a parent yesterday about how do we, helping her understand that that's what she was describing, like she's stuck Mm -hmm. in that hypervigilant state, even though she knows she can can cognitively say, I don't need to be there anymore. Like things Mm -hmm. are better. My child's doing better but her body doesn't know her body Mm -hmm. doesn't trust. Right. Um, but that was over, that wasn't just a one-time event. It was several years of this decompensation of her, her child and her family really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a tangent, but no, (laughs) that's (laughs) well, and that kind of goes into the next, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, um, which is that brain behavior connection, Mm -hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so if we are experiencing, whether it's a big T trauma, the mm-hmm. the one, you know, big thing or some, mm-hmm. some little T traumas, chronic, mm-hmm. this years of daily intrusiveness into our mm-hmm. nervous system that does affect that brain behavior connection. For sure. And so I would love to hear you kind of talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is. This is kind of what I do with parents because they have kids who some, some of the parents have kids that they don't know the histories. They don't know exactly what it is, like what is causing these behavioral um, challenges. Mm -hmm. 
And so we're always going back to the brain. And it's important to know, of course, it's important to continue to go down that road and try to figure that out as best they can for medications, benefits, all kinds of things. But in their parenting day to day, what we talk all the time about is that's not the, that's not the pressing question. Like, you know, that you have a child whose behaviors are really out of bounds in Mm -hmm. terms of what we expect from a child of that age or in this particular situation, right? They're not just being quote unquote, a little difficult or Mm -hmm. stubborn, or it's more than that. Right. And so you can assume that they have a brain that works differently. Now Mm -hmm. we may, it may be trauma. It may not, we may not know, but behaviors and brain, they cannot be separated. We can't ever separate them. And so and we have science, of course, that tells yeah. us that. Yeah. And so if we have a behavior that we're solely focused on, we're laser focused on it, what can I do to get it to stop? Because it's so distressing to us, to our family, that kind of thing. We have to bring the brain alongside that. It just makes sense since the two yeah. aren't ever separated. Um, and so that once that's the shift, right, which is really difficult to make, of course, when you're in the thick of it, but um, continuously shifting our focus back to what does this have to do with the brain? How has the brain been changed mm. in really significant ways by yeah. many individuals who experience trauma? And how can we accommodate, support, and heal? And so that, you know, when we're a lot of times we're talking about kids, right, where that's happened. But for parents too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like their emotional bandwidth ability to regulate their window of tolerance has like shrunk Shrunk. to this really Mm -hmm. narrow place because of their trauma. And they're trying to parent a child who has the same challenges Mm -hmm. because of the trauma. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's both, both sides and addressing both equally if they can, which is a challenge, but. So is that where brain first parenting comes in? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So exactly. can you talk, tell us about that? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? What does it look like? How do you use it in, you know, your yeah. sessions with the families you work mm-hmm. with? Yeah, sure. So brain first parenting really has those two sides of the coin. That's the way I talk about it. They're addressed equally. So what's happening with this child? How does their brain work differently than even a child of their same age and same diagnosis? There's still okay. going to be unique aspects yeah. of it. And that's like, well, what does our brain do for us? What assumptions do we make about what a child's brain does for them every day? What do we not even think about? Because if we're what society considers neurotypical, we probably have never even thought about what our brain's doing for us every minute. Mm -hmm. So getting into that framework and then from there, helping the parent dive into, okay, your child is struggling or lagging behind in this specific skill set, whether it's processing pace, you know, cognitive flexibility, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, executive functioning, uh-huh. you know, all of those kinds of things. So then they can connect that to the behavior. Oh, I see when I, when I ask my child to be flexible in this moment, it, they're not able to do it. They can't mm. shift. They're so cognitively rigid. They can't see my perspective. So how do I help them ease into this alternative perspective, ease into this transition? They can't do it on their own, right? Sure. Yeah. Where a lot of times in traditional parenting, it's like, oh, come on, what are you making such a big deal about? Yeah. Or yeah. you're too old to be throwing this kind of fit. Let, mm-hmm. Let's move on, right? Mm-hmm. They can't. They would be doing better if they could. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be curious about. The other half of that, the other side of the coin is the parent experience, which I always joke that 
parents come to see me because their child's very challenging and they don't know what else to do. They never come to see me because they're struggling. Yeah. <laughs> but what but they that's the, yeah. 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 You, we <laughs> can only get so far in talking about their child. And if they don't start looking inward yeah. and really, you know, fully, uh, I don't know, it's, it's acceptance, it's um, reflection, it's all kinds of things, but really taking a look at how this parenting experience has impacted them mm-hmm. and what they need to do to build their resiliency, heal their nervous system, they're not going to get as far as they can. Mm-hmm. otherwise with their child. So it's kind of these two different pieces. Um, but it really came out of trying to understand my daughter, Maya, who, mm-hmm. as I shared, we adopted her at birth. She has a diagnosis of fetal alcohol. Okay. Um, you know, I knew cognitively what that meant, but I had no idea <laughs> what yeah. it meant in our day-to-day parenting of her. And that those very good parenting techniques that we were using for our son, who is our biological child and what society would consider as neurotypical as they come, Mm -hmm. they weren't working for her. They were actually Mm -hmm. making things worse. worse. Her behaviors Mm -hmm. were intensifying, escalating. Mm -hmm. And we're like, what is like, we know, we know what we're doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's going on? So that, that just, that led me on a journey to figure that out. Um, and like I said, I just, once I figured it out, I was like, man, this was life changing for her, for our family. Mm-hmm. I delight in parenting her. She is a joy to be with truly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean every day's sunshine and rainbows, but right. overall that is truly how I feel about being her parent. And that would not have been the case mm-hmm. if I didn't have this information that I didn't even know I was missing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to be able to help other parents find this information, not have to work so hard to get it. Yeah. So I meet with parents individually to just talk to them about both those sides of the coin, but I also have communities bringing parents together because it's so isolating. They feel so alone and like nobody would understand what my day-to-day is like. I'm like, oh yeah, they would. Yeah. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parents like that out there. So, um, opportunities to bring them together. And I do lots of trainings and stuff like that too. Okay. Did your daughter have her diagnosis before you started down this path of like, how do we change this? Or was it the other way around? Um, She did. So because we had um, confirmed use from birth mom. Okay. And she also had the facial characteristics. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with kind of the diagnostic criteria. Yeah. Um, So both of those really hard to get for a lot of families, right? Yeah the the history confirmation but also the facial characteristics aren't needed but they're not always there yeah. to make the diagnosis clearer right so she got a diagnosis before she was 3 and oh, okay. i had okay. zero idea at the time how unusual <laughs> that, that is. is i know now right mm-hmm. and when her developmental pediatrician gave us this diagnosis she passed on the name of Diane Malbin who i don't know if you're familiar with her or not. Um, she wrote the book trying differently rather than harder. Okay. And she does, she's in retirement now, but she, um, is very well known for supporting parents of kids with FASD specifically. So that I, she actually lives very close to us just happened to be that way. I went to Mm -hmm. one of her trainings and that's when that shift happened. Okay. Um, 
So yes, we had the diagnosis, but I don't know. I mean, that led me to Diane. So that was of course instrumental, Mm -hmm. but, um, it still didn't give me a whole lot of like, well, then this is what you do. Like Mm -hmm. most of what we read about, and I'm guessing a lot of parents with that diagnosis or even trauma, similar shoes, it's like, well, loving, caring home is environment. Mm. You need to create structure. You need to be consistent. Yeah. (laughs) All of that's true. Yeah. But, (laughs) but I was like, okay, we've got all those pieces in place and it's still not Not working. working. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Okay. Yeah, that, wasn't, that wasn't as helpful as we hoped it would be. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm just going to jump in really quick and take a break from our episode to tell you about some of the services that I have to offer at Mending Families. I love to come alongside families and help them find healing and growth. And so if you are in a place where you're feeling frustrated, you are constantly anxious about parenting and am I doing this right? And maybe even just feeling like you're pulling your hair out because your kids don't seem to want to listen ever. <laughs> reach out to me. I love to come alongside families and help them with these very issues. So check me out at www.mendingfamilieswa.com and you can find all of my services, resources, everything that I have to offer right there on my website. Also, feel free to reach out to me. You can DM me on Instagram or shoot me an email, melissa at mendingfamilieswa.com and I would be happy to see if I can help. All right, back to our episode. Well, can you go back a little bit? Because I, yeah. I am more familiar with, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert and I know probably this much compared to what you know about um, yeah. FASD, but I, mm-hmm. my listeners may not know what oh, okay. is FASD mm-hmm. and how does someone get a diagnosis? So mm-hmm. can you kind of just walk through that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So FASD is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And, um, it is of course caused by, um, mom drinking while pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, uh, much more prevalent than most people think there's estimates that one in every 20 to 22 kids in the U S have FASD. As you might imagine, there's a lot of stigma around Mm -hmm. that diagnosis. And so, um, the right questions rarely get asked Mm -hmm. by pediatricians when kids are struggling. And so, for example, with my daughter, um, my daughter's black, her parents are very poor and uneducated, her birth parents. Um, they were quick to ask them all those questions. Mm -hmm. Um, if one of, if myself or, Mm -hmm. you know, someone in my kind of demographic had a child with similar challenges, I'm not sure they would ask those questions. Yeah. They probably ADHD is a very common misdiagnosis. Yeah. The symptoms of ADHD align almost perfectly with FASD. Yeah. So that's often a common misdiagnosis. Autism is another one, but ADHD is higher. Um, FASD is a spectrum. And so we talk about it as an invisible disability of the brain for many of these kids. So my daughter is pretty severely impacted. Her birth mom drank heavily throughout her pregnancy. So it doesn't take much time with Maya to understand like, oh, she's, there's differences here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I mean, a 15 year old carrying around her stuffed animal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. things like that. Um, but that's not typically the case. There's a lot of, just like ADHD, there's a lot of people impacted by FASD 
who um, appear to be challenging behaviorally, like, oh, they don't listen. They're not motivated. Mm. They don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't think about anybody else but themselves. Those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. They're manipulative, right? They're lazy. Mm. Um, When in fact, they don't have the skills that we assume they do to navigate their day. So they're set up for failure every single day when really what they need is accommodations. So those kids, I think, are at most risk for being misunderstood when they're at that specific place on this spectrum. Yeah. Um, it's a permanent disability. So, you know, I think I think of it as like a traumatic brain injury, right? The brain has been been damaged. The, we talk a lot about neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity yeah. in the way that most people understand it does not apply to kids with FASD. And there's lots of research and reasons why that is, but I think that's an important thing to mention because a lot of parents are like, well, what about neuroplasticity? Will the brain heal itself? When will this be done? When will she catch up? When will they recover? Yeah. Right. So when I'm working with parents, that's a lot of the easing into the acceptance of what is Mm -hmm. life can have meaning and be beautiful and full of joy. And so can your child's and also their disability is permanent. Yeah. There's some, there's some pieces of acceptance that have to happen so that they can be fully accommodated for yeah. the remainder of their life in the right. way that they need to be. Um, okay. So yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but do you think it's helpful to have a diagnosis of FASD or, is mm-hmm. that just one more label that we're putting on our kids? Uh, no, I think it's absolutely okay. helpful. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Labels are interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because you could say that about almost any diagnosis, yeah. like what does this label mean for my child? And I think a lot of that meaning we create it for our yeah. kids. Of course, society has their own expectations and, and we're always fighting against those and advocating for our child. Um, but like my daughter, even with her significant delays and intellectual, you know, challenges, she knows what, why her brain works differently. Mm. She knows what it's called. She knows that there are days where she's having a really hard time, but she's not the problem. She's not intentionally giving people a hard time. Oh, that's good. And so that piece of self-awareness, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. I think that is the, that's what kids start to believe Mm -hmm. is if we don't have a diagnosis and we don't know what to call it and how to make sense of it, then our kids won't either. Yeah. And oftentimes they think they are the problem Yeah. when really they have a very serious physical disability that needs accommodations. It's such a different viewpoint. But I also think when we talk about stigma and treatment, and then it of course gets into these higher levels of just resource allocation and all of that kind of stuff, we have to talk about it. And we need parents who have kids with this disability and live it every day to be the voices saying, this is what we need. This is what our kids deserve. I mean, you think about how much we hear about autism yeah. and autism awareness. And that's wonderful. Yeah. They need that too. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. there's estimates that FASD is three times as prevalent. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but the resource allocation is not there Yeah, because even, even from a political standpoint, it gets kind of tricky, right? So that's a long way of saying 
like we just have such a fickle relationship with alcohol in our society. That's a long way of saying that I think it is there's getting a diagnosis is so important for so many reasons. Another great example is ADHD and the medications Mm -hmm. that address ADHD don't work for those same symptoms for FASD. Yeah. Right. So again, that's one just really concrete reason why sifting through that and getting the correct diagnosis is so important. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that, you know, we do, we need to know that there, do we have to have proof that mom drank during pregnancy in order to get a diagnosis? Yes. Yeah. For the most part, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of conversation and, um, um, varying opinions about whether that should be required or not. Yeah. So, um, but right now to get a official diagnosis, you do need to have that report. So you'll hear a lot of parents talk about suspected yeah. <laughs> FASD, yeah. right? Um, and that's, that's kind of as far as they can go, or there's substance use other than alcohol that they know about and they have yeah. that confirmed. Well, we know yeah. that most women are polysubstance users, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, um, so there's just logical assumptions or safe assumptions, I should say, you can make about that. Um, and of course, other substances impact the brain mm-hmm. as well. Alcohol is the most severe. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. So if someone, you know, is sitting here listening and they're like, well, my child's birth mom told me that she drank, but I don't have any proof of that. Oh, that's what the do they proof. do with that? That's, that's the, proof. the proof. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great question. So that's what, what most, um, so in this case, we're talking about adoptive parents. What most adoptive yeah. parents are asked is, do you have proof that birth mom drank and her telling you reporting is. that to you mm-hmm. is that proof, okay. right? You, there's, there's no other, yeah. there's no other documentation or anything like that that's needed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So where would somebody go if they're like, Oof. oh, wow, <laughs> what do, you know, this sounds like our situation. Mm-hmm. Where do they go? How do they get help? Yeah. So a great place to start is FASD United okay. and that's the U.S., basically advocacy group for FASD services. And on their website, they have a state-by-state directory. And okay. so for Oregon, for example, you'll see my name listed there. So it's it's providers um, that have expertise in FASD, but it's also lists treatment centers okay. for moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also lists diagnostic clinics. Okay. And what you'll find if you went through that and looked at a few states side by side comparison, it is drastically different from state to state. Yeah, yeah. So here in Oregon, we don't have much in the way of diagnostic clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a little bit, but not much. But Washington, yeah, <laughs> right over do. the bridge, yeah. you you all do. You have a lot of resources, right? The mm-hmm. University of Washington, Wonderland, Hope Horizon Clinic, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So it does vary greatly from state to state, state. but that would be a great place for any parents who are, um, yeah, wanting to explore that to look. Yeah. Okay. What about, um, those individuals that, you know, know, maybe it's, uh, you know, my niece or maybe it's my neighbor. And I know like, that's what this family is 
dealing with, how, how do we support those in our lives Mm. that are raising kids with that diagnosis? Yeah. Um, ask them what they need. (laughs) I mean, it would, honestly, it would be, I would imagine very similar to what maybe the parents listening in are most familiar with of like when you're parenting a child who has experienced trauma, Yep. what do you need? Yeah. Right. And that space to be, um, to be able to be truly seen and heard mm-hmm. and have your experience recognized for what it is and to offer respite. Mm, yeah. Even just an hour at a time. I mean, I meet with all my parents virtually and the reason for that, it, many of them are around the country or the world, but even those who are local, they can't find anyone to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like my 15 year old, she can't stay home by herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not an option for them to make it anyways. A respite is such a huge, huge need. Um, but, um, because our society is so entrenched in a behavioral lens, right. They're like, this behavior is willful. It's defiant. This child is in full control. They're trying to, yeah, they're trying to manipulate you. Oh my gosh. Now they've really done it. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. you've let them, right? Yeah. There's so much judgment against the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a bit for people to shift their lens and just to even know that there's an alternative perspective out there that is, of course, supported by science and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And I always say to parents, like with those friends and relatives, um, you know, if there's an openness there, I think it's worth your time and energy. Mm. Um, and just remembering my own trajectory, and it took a while for me to shift, like to give people grace and understand yeah. that's what it takes. And also some people can't do it. Yeah. And yeah. that's so hard, especially mm-hmm. when it's someone we care deeply about. Right. Um, and then it's, then it's about conserving your precious energy and is your child safe with this person? If they continuously see them as a problem versus having a need for this really right. yeah. intensive support. Um, but anyways, back to your question of what can people do to support others? I really do think it is that openness and willingness to concretely do something to help, whether it's spending time with them and listening or taking their child for an hour, asking Mm -hmm. them what they need. Um, it's all of those things. Do you think it's beneficial, especially if it's like grandma who is in this child's life a lot, right? Do you think it's beneficial for um, people on the outside to learn more about what it is and about the the brain behavior connection? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just beneficial. I I really do believe it's essential. Yeah. And you know, I liken it to a child who has diabetes. Mm-hmm. So diabetes is something that's not working as we would expect to in the body. And there needs to be some vigilance and accommodations and understanding by all the adults in any environment that that child's in. And you would never send your child who has diabetes over to grandma's house and not give her like, this is what you do at what time, if you see this, this is how you need to change (laughs) and be flexible and provide them with something different. We would, we would never think of it because it puts that child in harm's way. The absolute same situation for our kids who have brain-based differences. The brain's Mm -hmm. a part of our body. It's been changed for them and function structure. There's a different understanding that needs to come because of that physical disability. 
Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, they are distressed. And we see that distress through their challenging behaviors. Yeah. Right. And so absolutely, I don't think it's just um, a recommendation. I think it's really, really essential. Yeah. Do you offer stuff, you know, like trainings or classes for those who are not raising a child? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I do, I do lots of trainings for I um, concerned community members or interested community okay. members is how yeah. I categorize it. And it's usually the same trainings I do for parents. Okay. Um, there are other therapists, teachers, that sort of thing. There's also, I mean, if this is resonating with anyone who's listening on my website are a few dozen, at least blog posts. Okay. And many of those have been helpful for parents to give to family members to help them bridge sure. that gap in understanding. Yeah. And um, it's one really funny story about that. There's a blog post on there called my child ruins everything okay. or you ruin everything, something okay. like that. Yeah. And I had a mom who, because that's what people think yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about these yeah. kids. And it talked about shifting that lens. Your child yeah. isn't ruining everything. They're in pain and distress. How mm-hmm. do we get them out of that state and support them differently? And a mom was like, she emailed me and said, you are talking about my child. This is how they're viewed. This is my experience. Exactly. I really want to give this to my family so they can hear this perspective, but do you think you might change the title? It's kind of of harsh. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it's harsh for a reason. You're right. It's so harsh and it's so unfair. But that's exactly what enters into the mind of people who don't understand. So thank you for your. (laughs) I know, right? But (laughs) I'm going to keep the title as it is. (laughs) Yeah. But there's also related to this conversation, there's also one there um, called What I Wish My Family Members Knew. Okay. something like that. Yeah. A lot of parents have found helpful in just giving that to their family and saying like, here's what I would love for you to know about my experience. So that might be helpful too. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure that I link all of this in the show notes too. So people don't have to go searching for it. They can just come to the one spot and find all of, Mm -hmm. all of your amazing information. So I'll do that. Um, I, I just have two more questions left. I know, I feel like this time went by way too fast, but it always (laughs) does. So, um, so we just have two more things. The first question I want to ask, because, um, I think just the reality is when we are talking about kiddos who have a diagnosis on the spectrum, on, you know, FASD, um, most likely they've been adopted. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Um, if they have the diagnosis, yes. most likely they've been, they've adopted. been adopted. Yes, That's, thank you. That is <laughs> yep, better yep. put than I did. Um, and so my question for you is, what do you wish more people thought of when it comes to adoption? Like people mm. who are on the outside looking in, what do you wish more people thought of? Mm. I think what I wish more people knew was that there is no adoption without loss. Mm, Yeah. That the two can't be separated Mm -hmm. because the dominant narrative I think in our culture is adoptions wonderful. It's happy. It's a win, win, win situation for everybody in the adoption constellation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's, um, it, it can be all of that. And also it contains loss. Yeah. And, 
Um, yeah. And so if you follow that out, what that means for each person in that constellation, for birth mom and birth dad, for the mm -hmm. adoptee, for the adoptive parents, mm -hmm. then it leads you to where the awareness and the education needs to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, preparing adoptive parents for what that loss looks like with their child. Yeah. Even a child who was adopted on day one, like my daughter, Maya, yeah. right? There's so yeah. much loss there for her still. Yeah. And what does that look like? Um, you know, what is the prevalence of things like neurobehavioral conditions, yeah. FASD and others in the adoptee population? Yeah. Like saying that up front to parents. Mm -hmm. And then, and then if that happens to be the case, you know what to look for. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not like, oh my gosh, what's this? Yeah. yeah. Like we've been loving this child as, as much as any parent could love their child. Why are they struggling? Why are we having these problems? Yeah. Like it doesn't, they don't feel like that shock. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because chances are mm -hmm. when you look at, especially foster to adopt. Yeah that child has been impacted in lots of ways. Right. Yeah. So it sets, I think it sets parents up, um, for failure, honestly, if they aren't prepared ahead of time, like in the pre-adoption education yeah, about yeah. what things might look like and not this doom and gloom. That's not at all what I'm right. saying. It's, it's, this could be what your child and what your family comes face to face with. And also there are things that you can do about it. Yeah. You can thrive in that yeah. experience. That's absolutely possible. But oftentimes parents get to a point of they're in burnout. Yeah. Barely surviving. Mm -hmm. and so then, then they find what they need and they have to come out of that burnout. It's just such a longer path yeah. to that thriving. Right. And resentment and all that stuff that has to be worked through so mm -hmm. as opposed a really to like having way to answer <laughs> no you're good so like what I think I hear you saying is how can we change that narrative in society to um let's educate and help people see the reality of what adoption is instead of just right. this pretty little package with a tied up with a neat bow which it isn't <laughs> um that's right and so if we can change that narrative, that can help people who, because I, I, I'm a parent coach as well. And I see this a lot where I'm there because they are now in the middle of this tornado and they don't That's know how right. to get out Yep. Exactly. where if we can get it ahead of time and That's help right. them do this, like mm -hmm. learning more about their kids and adoption and what, what it means to stay connected with birth family, what it means to help That's our right. kids know their true selves, then maybe we won't even get to the tornado. That's right. Absolutely. Thousand percent. And, you know, on that kind of following that, what I would encourage parents to do is find adoptees who are the voice for adoptees in this space, whether it's social media. I mean, that's a main place where you hear mm -hmm. a lot of them and listen to them. Yeah. They will tell you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and wonderful if even potential adoptive parents could start listening to adoptees and hearing that voice. Um, because they really should be the ones leading. Yeah. Right? And so That's we good. think about that a lot. Like with my daughter, sometimes she's leading to a place where I'm really uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, 
Yeah. I don't want to go into this again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm the parent and she's yeah. leading me like that's, that's our roles. Right. So I need to kind of get through my emotional turmoil, whatever it might be. I need mm-hmm. to do my work mm-hmm. so that I can show up in the way that she needs me to mm-hmm. in this, in her, you know, experience as an adopted child. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. So last question, what would be okay. three, re- three resources that you would recommend to, mm. um, families who are moving down a path of healing and growth, um, Ooh. especially in this new year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, man. Okay. So I think for, um, you know, my, I don't know if you um, are familiar with Robin Goble. Yes. Okay. So she's a very good friend of mine. Oh, I love that for you. (laughs) I'm slightly jealous. (laughs) I'll tell her you said that. Okay. (laughs) I'm talking with her on Monday. Yeah. So she just had a new book come out. Yeah. Behaviors. Yeah. um, So good. Oh, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for this parent audience, especially, I just think um, that would be wonderful resource um, for parents of kids with FASD or suspected mm-hmm. FASD, I think Diane Malden's book, trying differently rather than harder. It's okay. just, it's such a good place to start. It's really simple, short, straightforward, but it, it kind of will launch you to on a path, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, that you need to be. Um, okay. And I also think, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, um, like there's a podcast series called a little easier by Kendra okay. wild. And, um, it's a limited podcast series. And okay. I was one of many, many guests on there that are like all much more renowned and have a lot more experience and expertise than I do. Um, but it's all about the parent experience when you have a child that has pretty intense needs. Um, okay. so well done. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of the parent experience piece of it. I would, I would recommend that. Do you know if that is like on the Apple podcasts or <laughs> it is? Okay, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I will link that in the, all of the, yeah. in the show notes too then. Cool. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, I really have enjoyed talking to you. I feel like, oh, likewise. I feel like I could pick your brain some more. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to do this again another time. No. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, come back anytime. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your time and um yeah, just have enjoyed our talk. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, Enjoy your care. day. Okay. Thanks, you too. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was so good. And I am so glad that we were able to share this conversation with you. Hey, if you're interested in learning more about Eileen in the show notes, I have listed ways that you can find more about her. And then I also listed a lot of the things that we talked about today. So you can go there to get more information. It is just on my website, www.mendingfamilieswa.com. And you can click on the podcast link at the top. Okay, you guys, next week is a Mondays with Melissa. And I am actually going to be answering a listener question all about sibling rivalry. So I am excited for you guys to hear that one. It'll be a short one, but a good one and a great one leading into the month of February, which is the month of love. So I hope you come back and join me next Monday for a Mondays with Melissa. Have a great rest of your week. I'm so excited that you found this podcast and I hope you join me every week as you go through your own journey towards healing. 
One thing I truly believe in is that trauma awareness is so important to our future generations, and it starts with you. 